One, two, three. Welcome to a special episode of Highest Potential. I'm Dr. Steve Pettit, president of Bob Jones University in Greenville, South Carolina. We named this podcast Highest Potential because we wanted to share stories of how BJU helps students reach their highest potential for God's glory. Well, today we'll be talking with someone who has dedicated much of his life to helping his constituents reach their highest potential. Having served in the United States Senate since 2013, Senator Tim Scott has focused his energy on unleashing the positive impact that happens when hard work meets opportunity. His positive influence and strong Christian testimony led BJU to award Senator Scott with an honorary Doctor of Laws degree in 2018. Senator Scott recently released a book entitled Opportunity Knocks, How Hard Work, Community, and Business Can Improve Lives and End Poverty. In my conversation with him today, we'll discuss his new book, his life story, and his faith. Hope you'll enjoy it. Well, Senator Scott, many of our listeners may have never met you. So if you don't mind, uh, tell us about your fascinating life journey from South Carolina to the United States Senate. Well, uh, thank you, sir. Uh, Without question, I was uh, blessed with a powerful praying single mom, Uh, not the single part, but the praying part. Uh, Growing up in a single parent household with a mom who believed that prayer is the foundation and that she wanted to model the behavior her son should follow, which included going to work every day, 16 hours a day, three days a week, and eight hours a day, two days a week, she set for us, set in motion this notion that there's dignity in all work. She was mm-hmm. a nurse's aide, so perhaps one of the lowest rungs on the economic ladder in a hospital, but she took great pride in all that she did, uh, and, and uh, we had a great example to follow. And as you might imagine, there are lots of kids, hopefully, who can relate to my story, which is even if you have a good model to follow, uh, you might not follow it all the time. And mm-hmm. I unfortunately did not follow it. Uh, heading into high school, I was more concerned with being the class clown and making my friends laugh than I was with doing my homework. So my freshman year, I, I didn't do very well at all. and ended up uh, having to repeat my, my freshman year because I failed world geography and civics. Uh, that does, however, reflect God's sense of humor that a United States senator today started by failing civics to study of politics <laughs> as a freshman in high school. So, uh, and ultimately, my path was uh, path intersected with a strong Christian believer, a guy named John Moniz, who ran the local Chick-fil-A. His story and my story have been woven together for decades now because of his impact as my mentor teaching me some very basic biblical principles about significance Mm. uh, and then some professional principles around success. And I think the combination between the praying mother, the model of work uh, combined with the the father's love, the heavenly father's love that was shown through 
a good, strong mentor uh, and Christian values all coupled together, combined together to lead me into public service and then finally to the United States Senate. Well, what a wonderful uh, story about about your family and then somebody who steps in, who, who speaks both truth and love to you at the same time. And that's that is tremendous. Well, a few weeks ago, uh, you released your new book titled Opportunity Knocks. And while some books start out slowly, your first paragraph, man, I thought it was awesome, where it just immediately captured my attention as you described your visit to the Oval Office to visit President Trump in the wake of your self-described negative critique about his comments concerning race riots, the race riots in Charlottesville. So tell us about that trip to the Oval Office and how you were able to use it uh, to champion what is dear to your heart, and that is the opportunity zones. Well, President Trump was so gracious to invite me to the Oval Office after my nationally publicized critique. I must concede that Anytime the president of the United States, the most powerful person uh, in a the most powerful position, invites you to his home turf, you should be uh, shaking in your boots. And I was definitely shaking in my bright, colorful socks and shoes. But I got to the White House, entered into the Oval Office, and the president did what uh, few would ever have expected. But it seems to be his character. He was very deferential. And I say that, and I say that uh, in a way that I want everybody to hear. The president, uh, if you're not attacking him, his response is a response of grace. And he was incredibly grace-filled with his response to my critique, because I think he saw authenticity in it, and he asked a, 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 a leading question uh, at the end of our conversation. He said, please help me help those I may have offended. How can I do that? And my answer was opportunity zones. I didn't walk in there thinking about opportunity zones, but my mentor in politics was a guy named Jack Kemp, who was considered a bleeding heart uh, conservative, and he championed enterprise zones. And I basically uh, took the concept of enterprise zones and inverted it and made it into opportunity zones with a private sector focus. And the president championed it the very next day. And because of the president's leadership on Opportunity Zones, uh, we were able to get it passed into law, signed by the president. And now more than $67 billion are in opportunity funds to go help communities where the average unemployment rate is twice as high as ours was before the coronavirus. And frankly, the average poverty rate is over 31 percent mm. in our nations is around 12 well, that is that is really moving. Like, um, you know, I, I was not as familiar with the opportunity zones, and I'm sure that um, a lot of our folks may not be. Can you kind of describe it like what it would be like in the state of South Carolina? Yes, sir. That's a great question. Thank you. There, there's 135 opportunity zones. The governors of each state, well, our governor in South Carolina, is able to designate 25 percent of their high poverty highly distressed communities to receive that designation. With it comes, for those investors, it's not a government program, it's all private sector dollars, for those investors who are willing to invest in one of the zones, they get a deferral of their capital gains tax 
for either five years or seven years, depending on how long of an investment you make. If you keep your investment in the project for 10 years, whatever the new project is, you keep it there for 10 years, you eliminate all of the new capital gains in that new project, and you reduce your original capital gains tax by 15%. So not only do you get a deferral, you get a reduction, and then ultimately on the new part of the capital gains that would be required, you actually get an elimination. So it's a very uh, heavy on incentives or incentives, and that has made this program quite attractive to investors. And so, of course, the incentives are not just financial, but it's really using your money to make an impact on people's lives for good. Yes, sir. The goal, from my perspective, having grown up in some of those neighborhoods, if you bring opportunities close enough to the people living in the neighborhoods, they will have a far better outcome. And one of the lessons of my mentor, John, was that you learn to be significant by following your faith, our faith in Jesus Christ. You learn to be successful through basic business principles. More important than being successful, however, is being significant. And I think you see that in Matthew 25 uh, as it relates to the subsections of people or the subcategories of people who desperately need assistance. So when you bring help to those who are in desperate need, you find that the Lord's uh, promise is fulfilled as we become his hands and feet. And to me, the ability to, to be a part of that engagement, a part of that conduit to see that happen is one of the greatest blessings of public service is being able to help people who are where I used to be. And uh, thank you, Father, for that opportunity to to serve other people. That is wonderful. And I, I know our people, as they listen to this, are inspired. And I think people want to do something. Uh, and I'm so thankful God's put you in that position. Uh, throughout your book, you mentioned that your mission in life is to positively affect the lives of a billion people. <laughs> Well, that's that's billion with a B, not an M. So what opportunities has the Lord given you as a U.S. senator to positively uh, accomplish that in affecting people? Well, thank you, sir. Again, I, I will say that when I set that goal at 19 years old, to be honest with you, I had no clue what a billion looked like. But what I did know was that, unfortunately, my mentor, John, passed away at 38 years old. I was 19. And his goal was to positively impact the lives of a million people. And I thought to myself that I should do something to honor him. And the next number after a million was billion. And I set out to do something that was ridiculous for a poor kid uh, living in poverty. But once again, God in his divine uh, wisdom and with a touch of humor, he set me on the course. And now as a United States senator, I was able to be one of the four senators charged with the task of recreating our tax code. And Hmm. that led to uh, reducing the tax burden for single mothers by 73% for dual parent households, uh, dual parent uh, households with dual earners by 63%. We were able to get uh, opportunity zones passed uh, and that is going to affect millions of people. The tax code affects every breathing, walking American, and literally the Lord has provided a way for me to, uh, according to Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, do exceedingly abundantly above all that I could ask or imagine. I 
I cannot have imagined, A, setting such an unrealistic goal, and B, seeing how the Lord doesn't take baby steps. Sometimes it's just a leap in the right direction. But all praise uh, goes to Him. Uh, I was literally uh, blessed with being able to see something that someone else did, Jack Kemp, and put it into the middle of a crisis with President Trump, and then get my friends and colleagues in the Senate to vote for it, and uh, we snuck it in there, and now we're, we're reaping the benefits of it. But those are just two examples, the tax code uh, being one, uh, the opportunity zones being another, and criminal justice reform, another issue that the president and I championed together. Uh, and then there's some health care things that we've done that will be helpful as well. You know, thinking about, uh, Senator, some of the things that you're saying that you know, when you think of the providence of God and how God uses people, he uses what's in a person's bag or your or their life. And so much of this is, has flowed out of your own experience. And out of your own experience, you have a heart, you have a compassion, you have feelings. But those feelings are dedicated to the Lord and the usefulness of helping other people. And so, you know, you instead of looking back in your past with regret, you can look back in your past with gratitude. And so, absolutely, me, I mean, yes, it, this to me is what's so exciting and should encourage all of us that some of our most difficult times of life can actually can be used as some of the greatest things that God uses in our life. And that really leads to one of the chapters in your book that is aptly named The Darkest Hour. And it details the April 2015 murder of Walter Scott and then the June uh, 2015 premeditated murders of the nine uh, church members at Mother Emanuel AME Church. And of course, while the government sought to ignite a race war in the country, the families, which to me is always moving, the families of the victims and the people of South Carolina, instead, they came together. So how do you believe South Carolina has changed over the years, and how can Christians across the country work together to promote racial unity? I think the only way that we achieve the goal of racial unity is through faith in Jesus Christ. I think the greatest unifying force on earth is our faith. Uh, I, I liken it to, I think it's, I think it's Galatians 3.29, where we're all adopted into the same family. You can be adopted into the Lord's family, and, and that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. So from my perspective, in the aftermath of the Mother Emanuel church shooting, what we saw was, A, Matthew 5.44, praying for those who persecute you, loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you. We saw that come in skin and bones with mm-hmm. nine family members all saying to the killer, we forgive you. And that alone, the purest of light, agape love, flowing through nine grieving family members, set a fire, a holy fire, throughout our state. And we were changed in the blinking of an eye. And in Charleston, we had 20,000, 15,000 people of all races come together on the Ravenel Bridge holding hands in a, in a state of unity, that was sparked by Christians who responded to a, a massacre, an atrocity, by saying, yes, we believe in Matthew 544, 
what a blessing to mm. see that happen in the aftermath. And what, what, the, what we can do as Christians to promote racial unity is to remember that each of us, we are the family. We are the body of Christ. And whether you're the eye or the heart or just a little toe, you're part of the same family. And if we were to treat each other as if we were brothers and sisters of, in the same family, we would, we, would, we would do so much damage to the enemy's camp. We mm. would bring so much unity to this nation that the world would stop and say, what in the world just happened in the United States of America? I frankly think we're on that path. I think that I am thankful that the church continues to rise in the midst of crisis. Uh, even this coronavirus mm-hmm. is proven to be, once again, a place where the church is standing strong and our numbers are being counted. Our walls are down because our churches are closed. Mm. And while Easter Sunday, we had empty churches, but the tomb was empty too. And that was a day of celebration. So I'm pretty excited to see what's happening in the church right now. And I think that lends itself to racial reconciliation, because what we're starting to do is seeing ourselves in the eyes of Christ and through the eyes of Christ. Mm. That is powerful, and thank you, Senator, for that. It's it's moving, and and uh, you're in. It is. I just I remember the event so well, and and I can hardly talk about it without being moved by it. And of course, God breaks the hearts, and that's that's you know, and, and that's what love is. Love is a broken heart, and so thank you so much for that. As you close, you know, as you close your book, you demonstrate. Um, really a lot of optimism that you have for the United States in your presentation of an America 2030 proposal. And one of the key policies that you discuss is the need for education reform and school choice. And as a South Carolina state representative, you were a leader for school choice, and your passion for school choice hasn't diminished as you've served in the House and the Senate. So why do you believe that school choice is a key? Well, sir, I will say this. that I believe that without question, your zip code should not determine the quality of your education. Mm. I believe that the quality of your education will, in many ways, save the, your faith in the Lord, determine your outcome in this nation. And we look at the two major pillars of what separates the haves versus the have-nots, and it's education and family formation. Mm-hmm. Two-parent households, you can avoid poverty no matter what color you are, no matter where you're from. I think they say like 90% of the time, if you have two breadwinners in the same house. That said, I can't do anything about family formation. Mm-hmm. I can do something about education. Mm-hmm. And so fighting for and on behalf of students who are stuck and the wrong zip code should not mean they're stuck for the rest of their lives. Mm. I have seen educational opportunity through school choice lead to the most successful opportunities uh, known to man outside of our faith. That said, the final point I would say is simply this. If you want the freedom to worship and to practice the things that you believe, and you want to do that at school, There is no better place to do that than in a private Christian school. Mm. The environment lays the foundation Mm. rock solid so as to serve you for the rest of your life. Mm. The ability to live out Proverbs 22, 6, 
requires the ability to articulate and to speak loud and clear about what you believe. And that child may depart for a little bit, but it's coming straight back Mm -hmm. to the foundation. That foundation should be laid throughout this nation, and to do so probably probably requires private school choice. Mm. Well, thank you, Senator. That, of course, is where we are here at, at Bob Jones University. And, and yet, you know, our, our, our graduates go out and they go all over. We have graduates who are leaders in the public school system uh, shining their light. They, you know, then private schools. And, um, and I, I really appreciate your, your desire to see that happen. Well, we we could go on and on, and and just so thankful that you were even willing to give us the time to to talk about uh, your book. And as we close, I'd like you, if you don't mind, to read a selection from your book, because I believe this section really speaks to your optimism for who and what America is. Well, thank you, sir. Opportunities are the answer to success. We live in a country built on the foundation that all men are created equal. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, including life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is not just a principle. It's a foundational concept. Our nation of American exceptionalism is not based on any individual or race, but on the premise that each of us has the right to pursue our highest potential, Unlike almost any other country on earth, we aspire to a definition of equality and fairness that allows for anyone from anywhere at any time to rise to the highest levels of success in this nation. This country consistently and continuously reflects progress, and if we embrace what's possible, we will live a future we thought impossible. Thank you so much, uh, Senator, for reading that, and I know it, it came from your heart, and we were moved by that. And so thank you. We we love you. We thank God for you. We pray for you. Um, I see Randy, Randy uh, Page's office every day. He's got your picture up on the wall. I've got your picture on my wall. Thank you. And we, we hope, hope the Lord will continue to use you and through your life uh, have an impact in this country as he's already doing and to reach reach a billion people. So thank you, Senator, for your time, and God bless you. God bless you as well. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. I'd like to say another thank you to Senator Tim Scott for joining us this week. His book, Opportunity Knocks, is really a great read, and it's available on Amazon or at any major bookstore. Also, if you enjoyed hearing Senator Scott read a section of his book, you should consider the audio book version where Senator Scott reads the entire book, which makes it even more enjoyable. As always, thanks for listening to this episode of Highest Potential. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and please leave us a positive review. I look forward to talking to you again next week.